You're listening to the Grown Girl Divorce Podcast, conversations between girlfriends who have the knowledge and information to educate and empower you before, during, and after a divorce. We are here to remind you that you're grown and you got this. Welcome to the Grown Girl Divorce Podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Cook. If something were to happen to you today, are you and your family protected? We have all heard the words will, trust, and estate plan, but do you really know what they mean? Well, you will today. I'm so excited to have trust and estate lawyer Candace Hansford of Hansford Law to educate us today. Thank you, Candace. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about today. I am too, because this is such an important topic. And, you know, we know that it's hard for people to talk about, you know, things like death and divorce, especially in black and brown communities. It comes under one of the, what I'll call taboo topics, but we know that it is certainly an area that we have to talk about because the reality of it is that we are all going to pass on one day. But since death is unavoidable, you know, we should certainly take the necessary steps to prepare ourselves, but let's just start with the basics. So can you tell us, you know, the difference between a will and a trust? Absolutely. Um, So I always like to go into this discussion about the differences between a a will and a trust uh, by making the initial distinction between a last will and testament and a living will. One of the- common questions that I get is, do I need a living will or do I need a will? What's the difference? So when we're talking about just generally wills, most people are referring to a last will and testament. And that's just a legal document that dictates what will happen to a person's property and their estate once they pass away. By distinction, the living will itself has nothing to do with property. It's actually about you as a person and who will make decisions for you related to your health and medical care if you become incapacitated. So the huge distinction between those two things are one is effective once you pass away and it deals with your things. That's the last will and testament. And then the other is your living will, which really uh, sets forth your wishes for what you'd like to happen to you if you're unable to speak or make decisions on your own. So then should we have both then a living will and a last will and testament? Yes. The answer for everyone is if you are over the age of 18, you should have both because you want to make sure that of course your wishes are honored with respect to your possessions and your things. But you also want to make sure that you have appointed people to make decisions on your behalf if you are unable to speak, if you're unable to make those decisions or give any kind of consideration to medical advice, and you are in a situation where you need an intervention, but you're not able to communicate. So most people will need definitely at least a will as in a last will and testament and a living will. Interesting. So I'm glad you started out the gate by saying, listen, let's make sure that we're properly terming things because again, as we think about the word will, most of us are thinking last will and testament, but now we've now been educated and knowing that the living will 
takes care of you during the time when you may not be otherwise able to make certain decisions while you're still living. And then certainly as it relates to your property at the time of death, then you've got your last will in, in testament. So with the two then types of will, how then is that different than a trust? Because we hear the word trust all the time. So how is that a little bit different? Sure. I'm glad you asked. And the reason that I start out by making that distinction between the living will and the last will and testament is because the next natural question is, well, what does a trust do? And a trust can have like a hybrid effect. It can speak to what happens with your things, who's in control of them, the types of decisions that they can make, um, the types of access that they have to those assets, but then it can also appoint a person. And oftentimes when a person has a trust and they have appointed a trustee, that trustee may also be able to make decisions about healthcare. So um, the way that I like to distinguish between a last will and testament that deals with our things after we pass away and a trust is a trust is really a tool that will allow you to make decisions about what happens to you before you pass away and afterward. Your trustee can step in and deal with your things after you've passed away um, the same way that an executor would deal with a will. Um, it just depends on the specifics of the estate and what types of planning you have in place. Interesting. Okay, so then let me ask this. Can you have living will, last will and testament, and then a trust, or are they uh, kind of counterintuitive, you know, do you need all of these things? So the answer to your question is yes. Um, most people who have a full estate plan that really dots all of the I's and crosses all of the T's, they have instruments that cover all of those bases. They have a living will, um, which you'll also sometimes hear referred to as advanced directives. They will have a trust and then a trust, anyone who has a trust always has a certain type of will that goes along with the trust, which is called a pour over will. And I know earlier I said, okay, there are two types of wills, but really there's a third, uh, which is the pour over will. And the pour over will um, really has the purpose of um, pouring over into the trust anything that has not been funded into the trust during the lifetime of that person who owns the trust. So I usually explain to my clients that a trust is like a bucket and whatever decisions you make or instructions you attach to your bucket, they will follow your bucket and everything that you put in it. However, if you have things that you forget to put in your bucket or you never make it around to putting into your bucket or maybe you don't know you have an ownership interest in so they don't make it into your bucket, the pour over will is that catch all document that says, hey, I have a bucket and I have instructions that apply to my bucket. If there's anything that I left out or anything that someone has given to me since I put things into my bucket and it didn't make it in there, apply those same rules to that property and treat it just like everything else in my bucket. I see. I see. So it is kind of the catch-all for any and everything. And I like that. And what I'm hearing through all of this is the, the phrase estate plan. And it sounds like there can be different components of the overall plan. 
What I'm also hearing though, is we need somebody to help us with that plan because, you know, there are certain things. So this, you know, pour over will and knowing the distinctions between a living will, which I think you mentioned is also um, maybe known as an advanced directive and then your last will and testament. So when we think about all of these, you know, different tools for a plan, what's the best way to kind of get started with an estate plan? Sure. Um, the first step in any estate plan, no matter how simple or complex it might ultimately turn out to be, is to start the thinking process in making decisions about the people that you'd like to serve um, in respective capacities, whether that's the people that you feel comfortable making decisions for your health care, people that you feel like you can trust your property to, people that you feel like share similar values or principles and might be able to come in and make hard decisions that um, will serve your best interest. That's the first step um, because any and all of these tools that you need to implement, they really rely on others to carry them out. Okay. And so to the extent that you can point to those folks and you know who they are and you have, you know, kind of made sure that they would be willing to serve in any of these capacities if the need were to arise, that's really the first step. And then if you're working with someone, you know, like myself, you can look at the facts and look at, you know, the specific assets you have, where you are in life, particular concerns you might have. That's how we really design a plan that will suit your needs, but also make sure that you have as much predictability as possible. That's really helpful. One of the uh, things you mentioned here was about, you know, the people in place. And I would think that you really have to do some real work to think about, you know, who are the people that you really trust to take care of these very important things on your behalf, because, you know, either you're not here or you're not in the capacity to really have a say. And so you really are relying on someone uh, to do right by you and, and your family. Um, and so from a starting point, I like the idea of you saying, you, you got to start out by thinking, you know, who these people are, because that may take some time. And, you know, it may not always be the people that, uh, that you think it should be, um, because maybe everybody isn't in the right uh, space or have the capacity to do the kinds of things that need to be done for, uh, for you or for your children. It's, that's really true. And it's also really important to take into account um, the, the actual gravity of the ask. Sometimes people feel as though there are certain relationships, whether those are friendships or family relationships that um, put them in certain priority or that mandate of certain person serves in the capacity. And really um, that couldn't be further from the truth. You really need the most capable person to serve in that capacity. And sometimes it may not be a family member it might not be your oldest child. It might not be, you know, your childhood best friend. You really want to make sure that you are considering the actual attributes of the people and then also finding out whether or not they are really going to be comfortable and willing to, to move forward with your decisions as you have set them. 
That's really helpful. And I can see how feelings get hurt, right? You're the oldest child or you're the only girl or you're the one who, you know, uh, assumed (laughs) that you would be named. And then all of a sudden it's someone else, whether family member or non-family member. Um, But I, I do think it's of real value to really understand that the ask and looking at uh, and looking at the people that you are asking, you know, in this in this space. So now, you know, we know life happens, and there are changes in our lives. You know, marriage, having children. You know, how do these things impact having a plan and an estate plan? And what should we do at the time of those like differing changes? Sure. So. Um... I always address the question of, you know, how do changes like marriage or children affect um, my estate plan or the planning process? And I always refer to the three P's. I call them the powers, the priorities, and the preferences. And when we're thinking about, you know, those decisions and the people who will be involved, we have to think about what power will they have? Are they going to make decisions, you know, for my health and my well-being? Are they going to manage my assets Um, if they are vested with this power? If so, do they share the same priorities that I have? And if they don't, are they going to be willing to honor my priorities? Um, If the answer is yes, then we have kind of met the first two requirements. And then the last one that I like to consider are the preferences. Once you are legally married or you have children and now, you know, you have those um, that those heirs that have come into being, there are certain uh, priorities that people have in order to serve with respect to your state and administer your state. Um, there are also preferences that people have. And when I say preference, I mean the uh, priority in which the court will consider them to be suitable for administering your affairs. So there is a pecking order, so to speak. Generally, the first person in that pecking order is going to be a spouse, followed by children, if they are of majority age. If there are no children of majority age, then we pop back up to parents. Um, And then there are certain considerations if you have both of your parents living and considerations if only one of the parents survives. So those are all of the elements that we like to take into consideration when deciding, do I need to make any changes to my estate plan if I have one? And if I don't have one, how do I map out the course with the people who are now involved being maybe my spouse or my children? I love that. I love the three P's, you know, power, priority, preferences, because that really helps us give a roadmap to our thinking and organization, because as we hear, there are a number of things that come into play. So it's the, there's a court involvement, there's review of the plan, and then depending on the family dynamic and the family structure, now we know that, you know, it may not be as linear as one may think. So I'm going to, you know, throw in divorce, of course, into this mix, right? Because um, of many of the listeners here are either considering divorce or in the process of divorce. So let's say you have, you know, a, a plan, whether that includes uh, a last will testament or a trust, or, you know, maybe it's uh, even an advanced directive. And now you're considering a divorce. 
can you make changes to the plan while the divorce is pending? And then should you uh, during that time? Sure. So that's, um, those are two actually easy questions and the answers are yes and yes. Okay. Yes, you can make changes while the divorce is pending. And then you can also, um, you also should make those changes um, while the divorce is pending. So if we skip forward to um, the situation where people have gotten divorced, but they haven't made any changes to that estate plan. Fortunately, um, the courts will invalidate any provisions that, you know, speak to a bequest or an appointment of some sort um, in the capacity of a spouse because you no longer have a spouse. So that is one uh, mechanism that kind of helps to smooth over the fact that sometimes people, you know, don't get around to making those changes and updates right. as quickly as they should have. And sometimes they, they may pass away um, during the pendency of a divorce. But if there are other specific areas, so such as gifts or, um, you know, things that you have made provision for a person as a spouse, um, and it's not in the capacity of being a spouse, you do want to change that uh, because there is a possibility that they may still take under those instruments, um, or that they may still gain some control or have some decision-making authority that you obviously, you know, probably would have changed if you'd gotten around to it. Sure. So it is really um, encouraged that pe people to go ahead and make those changes. Also with respect to, uh, we were talking about estate planning and the things that are usually included in the uh, probate estate, but also there are some assets that will be held outside of the estate. We talked about the trust a little while ago and the bucket and things right. you may put in there. Sometimes you have things that you don't put in your bucket that don't really have any reason to go into the bucket. And if you name someone um, as a beneficiary, you want to change those beneficiaries because they are outside of the purview of the court. They are outside of the context of your last will and testament. And uh, if you have left something to them kind of in their own name as an individual, they may still have an entitlement to that. So we always want to see people go ahead and update those estate plans as it retain, uh, pertains to property. But then also you want to make sure that people that you've appointed, maybe as your trustees or um, as your agents making decisions related to your last will and testament, usually you have other people who will step in and take that responsibility for your health and your well-being. Um, and it won't be a spouse or a soon-to-be ex-spouse. That's a really good point because sometimes we overlook those, those items, right? You know, life gets in the way. And so you don't remember to change the beneficiary designation or you, you know, you, somebody was named as the trustee and then you get divorced and you know, th that plan should have, um, it, it should have changed. You know, a minute ago, you referenced about the idea of, <clears throat> of gifting and how sometimes things don't fall within the same bucket, especially at the time of the divorce. And the first thing that I was thinking about was in the instance of like blended families, step families, where, you know, maybe under your will or your trust, you named a, uh, a stepchild or a bonus child. Um, and making that real decision as you know, if that's going to change, depending on whether or not uh, the relationship with, with their parent has changed. So I think it's really key uh, to your point of saying, you know, 
you can do it during the process. And oftentimes it's important to do it during the process because as we know, things do happen. You know, people mm -hmm. pass away all the time during the, in a divorce. Um, and it's sad to see kind of what unfolds during that time. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I will just say that, you know, in my practice for many years as a divorce attorney, one of the things that we would make sure to put in the judgment documents and the marital settlement documents is really a reference so that it was very clear the intentions that to the extent that the divorce is finalized, that there's all waiver of any claims rights under the estate. And then we would take the sec, you know, the separate step to then say to the client, make sure that you, you know, have your documents reflect your post-divorce status because it's so important to be consistent in that way. You're absolutely correct. So now in thinking about, you know, the idea of changes during uh, the pendency of a divorce, I, I know there are likely people who are like panicking, thinking that how will I know, you know, if somebody has done something, um, you know, are there any kind of protections or is it just a situation where you find out when you find out? So it's kind of the latter. You find out when you find out. And um, I think that, of course, emotions are generally high during a divorce and during estate planning generally. So when you combine those two things together, you really have a recipe for some anxiety. But <laughs> yes. If we take a step back, um, at least in the estate planning context, that's really universally the, the rule. Like your will, and we're only talking about last will and testament, um, it speaks to what happens to your things once you pass away. So as long as you are alive or whoever state we're talking about, that person's life, they retain the right to make those changes. Right. So it's really not as you know groundbreaking of a situation oh my gosh, this person may be updating their will um, because, pursuant to this divorce, or I might need to update mine. You had the right to do that anyway. You could have changed your will at any point in time prior to you passing away. Um, people include new beneficiaries or you know new uh, legacies under their will all the time. People cut people out of their wills all the time for things that are, you know, very, very remotely related to divorce. So people always retain that right to be able to kind of put new folks in and take folks out. So it's really not, you know, that big of a deal and that much to be concerned about. And then to the extent that the will speaks to property that, you know, you might not own anymore after a divorce, that's also still the same as any other will. I could leave my speedboat to, to my sister. And if I pass away 40 years from now and I sold my speedboat 25 years ago, she's not getting a speedboat. So it doesn't matter. Um, the will really only does speak to the property that is within the estate at the time that the person passes away. So it is an emotional situation to deal with, uh, knowing that changes are being made. But really, as it pertains to the actual disposition of the assets, it usually doesn't make much difference. Okay, let me underline that like three times, because here's the thing. The reality of it is you can change it at any time. It's your direction is your intentions, it's your desires. And I think people sometimes get caught up in this idea of, you know, during a divorce, somebody is going to do something underhanded and, you know, I'm going to be cut out. But here's the thing, you may not have been named 
you know, at any point. And so, you know, (laughs) and so I think it's, it's really important to, to remind folks that it's not just during say the pendency of a divorce, um, where people make certain, where people make certain decisions. So we are talking about wills and, and trust, and we know that unfortunately there are a lot of individuals who don't have anything right. And, and (laughs) at, at all economic levels, I mean, you know, I would say famously you have Aretha Franklin in Prince who died, uh, you know, without a will. Um, and then there's this new, what I'm going to call, um, fad, so to speak, where every other day you'll see a GoFundMe popping up where people are, um, you know, asking others to help them with funeral costs or for, um, you know, college say savings for children of the deceased. Can you talk to us just a little bit about why it's important not to rely on those type of mechanisms, but really at a minimum, you need to have something in place for your family. Sure. Um, I'll start with what I, you know, find to be the most volatile area. Um, and that is when people pass away and they have minor children and they haven't named anyone to serve as a guardian for that minor child. Um, even with the most basic estate planning, if you have a child that has not obtained the age of majority, any estate planner that you work with should make that the top priority, that you name someone um, and that um, you make sure that that has been documented so that that person has that preference that we talked about a little while ago in order to step in and serve. Um, if you think about situations where, um, say you are you and, a, you're, you and your spouse, you're, you're married and then you divorce and both of you have um, several siblings, you now have aunts and uncles who have the same uh, priority. They are at the same level of preference to become the guardians of those children. So very easily you have six or eight individuals who all have an equal claim to come in and say, I should make decisions for these children. They should live with me. I should manage any assets that, you know, are going to um, accrue to them. And that makes for a very, very difficult situation no matter how close the families were at one point in time. Um, So that is one of the most important situations. Also, um, when people pass away and they don't have anything in place, in a situation like you just mentioned, if a divorce is pending and you do still legally have a spouse, that is the spouse. The spouse is the first person in line. Not only are they the first person in line to deal with the affairs of the deceased, they also are entitled to their spousal share, which is usually going to be half of the estate for a person who does not have um, any planning in place. Obviously, that is counterintuitive to what most people in a situation where they are, um, you know, in the middle of a divorce (laughs) would intend to have had. So um, you really want to make sure that, you know, you might not have the most robust estate plan in place, but you should have something. And also to underscore what you mentioned a few minutes ago, you can change it at any time. 
there's really no reason uh, to not move forward with doing some sort of planning because if your estate changes significantly, if your wishes change, you always have the ability to go back and to update it. There will never be a point in time where someone can come in and say, oh no, you, you made a will two years ago, so now you have a waiting period. There is no such thing. Okay, okay. Those are so important. Protecting your kids first and foremost, because I didn't think about the, you know, you get divorced, there's two parents here, there are siblings, there are aunts and uncles, and everybody's coming out the gate. Your grandparents as well. Grandparents. Oh, yes, Mm -hmm. yes. So at a minimum, don't think about yourself, really think about your kids which should really be the driving force for you getting this, this figured out. Um, and that goes back to that, you know, GoFundMe only deals with money. It's not going to deal with these decisions. And that's the day-to-day stuff that's really important. And, and the GoFundMe then can be layered into the problem. Um, I have experienced this in my practice where um, a GoFundMe has been initiated and it was uh, more successful than initially anticipated. And then that was the impetus behind some additional people who likely would not have you know, been interested in serving as guardians for the children to get involved. So you have, because those guardians are going to be in control of those funds, they are going to maybe move into the home of um, the the parents, or they're going to take the children because they may go to school um, out of state or, or whatever the case may be. There are tons and tons of variables, but if you have um, someone who's been appointed, they have a leg up in that process. And you also have the ability of knowing that your wishes are going to be uh, respected. That's so important. You know, staying on this topic though of children, I want to understand, um, we briefly talked about bonus children, stepchildren, you know, are adopted or stepchildren automatically considered beneficiaries in somebody's estate if there's no will or a trust? Sure. So if if a person has named, and this is where our vocabulary gets to be super important, if you've named a child or a person as a beneficiary on something that's going to be outside of the estate, so like an insurance policy, they are going to receive that property because you have named them and it's like a one-to-one transaction. You've given something to them. Um, With respect to an estate though, If a child was legally adopted and a person does not have a will, the law considers them their child. So they will take. In a more difficult situation, if a person um, does not have a will and they have a stepchild, that child is not considered a legal heir and they are not entitled to take when that person passes away. So if you do have stepchildren or bonus children and you wish to provide for them, you cannot rely on the expectation that they will just take because they are your child or they grew up being treated as your child. Even in situations that are not pursuant to divorce, um, I have experienced this in my practice as well. Um, Families that remained intact for a, uh, a marriage that has lasted, you know, more than half of a century. And if a party passes away, I um, mean, it can be very, 
very uh, stressful for those children to not be acknowledged as children and to have to be specifically called out as not being children. And maybe only one child is considered the legal child because they are a biological child. So we really want to make sure that these things are documented because not all instances of divorce, you know, result in people wanting to disinherit their bonus children. They, They absolutely sometimes want to make sure that those gifts um, are successful and that they are affected. And in certain situations, and I have fortunately seen situations where, of course, the children are um, the, the sole heirs to the estate or the children who are legally considered children, they do share and share alike with their siblings. Okay. And so those um, estates are administered probably in the way that the the deceased would have wanted it to, to be understood. But in other situations, there are certainly people who step in and say, well, the law is the law. And if you're not entitled, you aren't going to receive anything. So that's always a tough situation. Absolutely. And, you know, listen, you're already dealing with uh, the emotion and the grief of now, you know, uh, losing a loved one to then have this you know, add it on top. So what does this mean? It means get things in order now, because mm-hmm. then you're lessening, you know, the, the stress, anxiety, strife, um, you know, for your family members. So this is grown girl divorce. And we always want to bring it home with, you know, how best to chat with and think about what our girlfriends should know. So, you know, if you're talking to your best girlfriends about, estate planning. And I'm sure they all run to you because I know what it is to be in these spaces where when things happen, you know, folks are, are, are looking for that one girlfriend who, you know, is practices in that area. And one of the things I want to do uh, with this podcast is be able to share that kind of education and information to our other girlfriends. So, you know, what are, what would you say is the most important things you want your girlfriends to know about estate planning um, at a minimum? At a minimum, I want any of my girlfriends who have children to know who do you want to entrust your babies to. That's the first thing that they should consider. Most of them have a very short list of people and it doesn't take a lot of consideration. So Um, it's easy to get that jotted down and make sure that it's documented somewhere in the event that, you know, something unfortunate happens. And the next steps are to think about what do you want to happen if you're unable to make decisions? If you can't get up and, you know, lots of my friends, I'm sure you have the same experience. They are the go-to people. They are the ones that take care of things for everyone else. And sometimes it can be, um, you know, the the last thought to say, well, if I'm the person that needs some help or needs some assistance, who will step in? Again, most of these folks do have, you know, trusted friends or um, loved ones that can come in, but making sure that one, we've identified who those people are and two, that they know that that is the expectation. Um, And then finally, Ensuring that, you know, someone has access to all of this documentation, wherever it might be in whatever form um, that is really important, whether this is safety deposit box at the bank, whether it's in your home office, most of us these days have at least, you know, one person who knows how to get to the important stuff that's really, really um, at the top of the list of priorities, because 
time can be of the essence when needing to know who's going to be authorized to make certain decisions, okay. who can sign off on certain releases. So just ensuring that, you know, no one is kind of stuck with their hands being tied um, and not knowing where to get to the valid information um, is important. It's great to have this documented, but if no one knows how to access it, yeah. it's not super useful. Oh my gosh. Super helpful and things that, you know, you don't always think about, right? Because you're, you're right. A lot of times we are the person taking care of everybody else and we've never really take a moment to step back and say, okay, if I'm not in that space, then who do I trust? Who do I want to serve in that role to mm-hmm. make sure that things are done? So that's key. And then, you know, it's not going to be helpful if nobody knows where it is. So that access is so important. And then of course, you know, it's all about our kids knowing where uh, they're going to end up and, and where they're going to land. Candace, I cannot thank you enough. This information is definitely helpful and hopefully is going to prompt somebody uh, to get a plan together because it is truly important because we don't know, um, you know, what the day will bring um, at, at any point in time. So tell me, you know, where can listeners find out more about you? Sure. Um, listeners can find out more about me, my practice, and the ways that we help clients plan for their futures and their families at www.hansfordfirm.com. Um, you can also reach us by phone at 312-448-6565. You can find us on Facebook, and um, also Instagram, same name, Hansford Firm. Excellent. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you chatting with us today. It has been such a pleasure. You're very welcome. I enjoy my time with you. Thank you for listening to the Grown Girl Divorce Podcast. Remember, though you may be going through a difficult time, you're grown and you got this. Please be sure to tell your girlfriends about us. Follow us on Instagram at Grown Girl Divorce and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss out on any new conversations. The conversations on this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to substitute working directly with a lawyer. These episodes are not to be used as a basis to support or defend any legal action and transcripts or recordings of the podcast may not be used for any purpose without the direct written permission of the podcast owner.